thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul is dealing with 11 different issues, 11 different problems that the Corinthians were having and, and correcting those and sharing insights on how to properly conduct themselves. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at specific things that the Corinthian believers were doing improperly as they gathered together as a, a church. There was headship problems. They were taking communion improperly. And now we come to an even bigger and more significant issue that Paul's spends three chapters dealing with. It was an issue of improper use of spiritual gifts. And so he's going to be focusing on spiritual gifts and the proper way in which they should be used within a a church setting and what those gifts are. But before we get into what Paul has to say, I I want to address something because uh, there's a debate within uh, the church world concerning spiritual gifts. And, And this debate is asking basically two different questions. Are all gifts spiritual gifts for today, or are just some for today and some have ceased? Now, there are those in the body of Christ that believe that all the spiritual gifts are for us today, are available uh, for us today. And there are those who believe that just some of them uh, are available, but others have ceased to exist. And so basically everyone in the body of Christ, when it comes to spiritual gifts, would say that some of the gifts are available. And, you know, those gifts would be like the teaching gifts and the administrative gifts. They would agree that, that those are available for us today. But then they would say that there's a group of gifts that have ceased ceased. There's a a portion of the body of Christ that believes that, and they title those those gifts the miraculous gifts. So the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and so forth. These gifts that they would kind of put into this category of miraculous gifts. And so really, it's these gifts under this heading that the debate is around. Like, do you believe that the miraculous gifts are for today, or don't you? Now, because there have been, you know, this kind of thought, that the group that uh, wants to deny certain gifts are for today, they've kind of placed the gifts under three different headings. You have the communicative d- gifts like teaching, things that are going to communicate God's word. Uh, then you have the administrative gifts like leading. And then you have the miraculous gifts like healing and prophecy and tongues and miracles. And um, Now, something we need to understand is this is something that men have divided up. There's nowhere in scripture where it says that you know God has divided these gifts under these different categories. You know, they've done this because ultimately they want a category that they can remove and say doesn't exist anymore. These miraculous gifts are not for today. Uh, now, that's a, an interesting thing that they've done. But um, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the believers there. Uh, we know that they're there together. There's about 120 of them. And there's something miraculous that takes place. The gift of the Spirit is given. They're all speaking in tongues. And it's at a time when there's a huge crowd of people that are coming into Jerusalem. And these people start hearing because they're from different places who speak different languages. And all of a sudden, they're, they're hearing God being praised in their own language. And they're trying to figure out what in the world is going 
going on here. And right after this supernatural experience that God pours out his spirit upon these disciples, Peter, he stands up and he addresses the crowd and he gives the the first message after the resurrection of Christ. But I want you to note something that he tells the crowd within this message in Acts chapter 2 in verse 33 and 39. He says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the the father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Now, notice that Peter is specifically focusing on the Holy Spirit's spiritual gift. What they see and hear is that people have been given this gift of tongues, and they're hearing it proclaimed, and that's what's drawn this crowd. And so he's not just talking about the Holy Spirit in general. He's talking about specifically spiritual gifts. And then he says, For the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so Peter here says this promise of the Holy Spirit, which will indwell you and also empower you with spiritual gifts, is a promise not just for us, but for you and your children and, and generations after this, all the way to us who will believe in Jesus. Now, when you look through scripture, it clearly teaches that spiritual gifts are for believers, all of them, that when the Holy Spirit indwells you, he is the one who chooses to give what gift he wants to give you. And so nowhere do we see these categories made up and nowhere do we see that a portion of it has ceased or or has gone away. Uh, And so whenever you make a claim like those who are claiming that there are gifts that are no longer for today, you know, the burden of proof then lies upon them to show where in scripture, since the scriptures said that they are for us, that they are for believers, where does it say that they are going to cease, that they're going to stop, that they're no longer going to exist? For example, if I were to say sharing the gospel was only a command for the time of the apostles and not for us today, the burden of proof would be on me because the Bible clearly shares that we as believers are commanded to share the gospel. So if I were to make a claim that, oh, no, no, that's only for the apostles' time, we're not commanded to do that, we don't have to do that, well, I would have to demonstrate scripturally, show some kind of verse that says it is ended for us, we're no longer commanded to do that. Now, I wouldn't be able to because there is no passage of scripture, we are commanded to continue to share the gospel. In the same way, if I'm going to make a claim that says the gifts that obviously clearly the scriptures teach about and say are for believers, if I'm going to say a portion of them have ceased, I need to be able to come to the word of God and show scripturally where that has taken place. So these people who make this claim, what biblical evidence do they have to make this claim that say these miraculous gifts have ceased? Well, there are three verses that they try and use to um, prove their point. They come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 11, uh, 10, and it says this, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So this verse is saying that prophecies, tongues, and and knowledge, and they would be under the category that they would put as miraculous gifts. There's going to come a point in time when they are basically going to cease. And But notice verse 10 tells us when that's going to happen. It says, when that which is perfect has come, then these things won't be needed anymore. So the, the question is, what does it mean, that which is perfect? What is it referring to? 
Those who claim that these miraculous gifts have ceased believe that that which is perfect has come means the completion of the New Testament, which would be the completion of Scripture. And so once the completion of Scripture was here, that's the perfect thing that has come, and therefore we have no longer need these gifts. Now, that's a very small percentage of commentators who would translate and look at these passages and, and conclude that. The majority of commentators believe that that which is perfect has come is not speaking about the completion of the New Testament. It's speaking about Jesus, the perfect one who comes for us, and then where he's going to take us to a perfect place in heaven. Now, I want you to note the context, which we're going to see as we go through chapter 13. It's all about love. Uh, Notice that it even starts here, love never fails. The whole point of chapter 13 is that love is by far more important than any spiritual gift, and that if the gifts aren't being used in love, then they're useless to us. And so Peter is, or Paul is making this case, love never fails, uh, but the gifts will in the sense that love is going to last for all eternity. Love is going to be something that we have together in heaven. We're going to be with the God who is love. We're going to be demonstrating love. But these gifts we don't need in heaven. We don't need prophecy in heaven. Why? Because God can speak directly to us. We don't need tongues in heaven. Why? Because we can speak directly to God. And so these gifts are here for us in this life because we're needing them in this life. But once we get to heaven and we see God face to face, they're not needed anymore. And so within the context, it seems very clear that he's saying, yeah, when Jesus comes and we go to heaven, these aren't needed. And so they're going to go away. But it's not referring to the completion of the New Testament. And so this is the only verses that people have who, who want to make this claim, and it's a pretty weak challenge, even if you want to, to say that that's it. And so, because they have really little biblical evidence, they kind of try to use three under things to, to push their, their case. They try to use history, uh, they try to use the purpose of gifts, and the abuse of gifts to try to promote you know their thoughts here. And so first, they, they try and use history, which I find interesting, because their claim is, if you look back through church history, when the, the apostles died until now, they'll make a claim that you don't see any miraculous gifts being used. And I just don't know where they're coming from and what, you know, history that they're studying, because you can go back to right after the apostles were killed. You can have Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Justin Martyr. Uh, you know, these ones will, will share, and you can read their writings of, you know, they're expressing miraculous moves of God through believers at that time, and you continue through history. Now, there are portions of history where there's less use of the gifts than others, but you look at our time today and you can see you know example after example of God moving through believers in miraculous ways and so they try to use history to disprove it but actually history proves that God has not ceased to use these things the second thing they try to use is um, the purpose of miraculous gifts and you know they kind of say you know what the purpose of miraculous gifts was just to authenticate God's messengers and God's revelation. Uh, and so, you know, you have the prophets, you have the apostles. Miraculous gifts were to authenticate them, that they truly were sent from God, and that the revelation that they were giving or writing in Scripture was truly from God. And so that was the purpose of miraculous gifts. And so now that we have the New Testament and the apostles are dead, we don't need that anymore. Now, the problem is, as we're going to see here in chapters 12 through 14, that's not the main purpose of spiritual gifts. Uh, and so their their argument is because that's the main purpose, we don't need to authenticate those things anymore, we're going to realize that the purpose of uh, spiritual gift is to profit and edify the body of Christ. 
Well, I think we probably still need to be profited and, and edified as the body of Christ. That's not something that has ceased to be needed. And so the main purpose of the gifts actually still uh, exists today. And so once again, I think when you look at what the actual purpose is, it leads us to believe that God still would use them, not that he would cease to use them. Now, the third thing they try to use are the abuses of these miraculous gifts, especially the abuse of tongues, the abuse of prophecy, the abuse of people claiming to heal, but not. And we definitely have that in our culture today. It's definitely a problem that we see. But, you know, if that was true, if if the abuse of tongues or the abuse of miraculous gifts uh, equaled uh, no longer being uh, used today or no longer being uh, available today, then they would be no longer available in the time of the Corinthians either because that's the whole reason Paul's writing to them is because they're abusing the gifts. He's not saying, well, sorry, guys, it's no longer for you. You've abused it, and that's one of the things that wipes them out. Just because a spiritual gift is abused doesn't make it wrong and doesn't make it no longer for today. It means they're just not being properly used. And that's why they're being corrected so that they will properly use this. You know, I grew up in a charismatic culture. Uh, people believe this. And, you know, when I really started studying the Bible, one of the things I, I finally came to a conclusion of, I was like, you know what? Is the Bible abuse? Do people twist it? Do people take it out of context? Yes. So does that mean it's no longer for today? Oh, no, no, the Bible's still for today. Well, wait a second. If the abuse is the thing that makes something no longer for today, then why don't we claim the Bible's no longer for today either? Because it's abuse just like spiritual gifts are abuse. Uh, and so it's a, it's a pretty poor argument. And once again, I actually think it leans more to the fact that these were given to us. It's just people aren't using them properly. So when it comes to this debated question, are all the spiritual gifts for today? I believe the answer is yes. You look at the Bible, you look at history, you look at, you know, um, the purpose of spiritual gifts, and I believe that they are all for today. Now, with saying that, we do have two extremes when it comes to spiritual gifts. The first extreme is the one that we've looked at, the extreme that says a portion of them are no longer for us today. But then you have another extreme comes to the other side of the pendulum, which says, hey, all spiritual gifts are for today, but anything goes. We can do anything. We can exercise them in any way. There's kind of no parameters. There's no guidelines. It's just whatever you want, go for it. And both of those are are extreme views. And I would say that the Corinthian believers would fit under this anything goes mindset, because as we're going to see, they're not properly using the gifts. They don't understand the proper function, the proper heart, the proper motive, uh, the order that God has established. And so they kind of have this anything goes however we want, you know, mindset that goes with it. And, you know, I grew up in a church with this extreme view that anything goes, and I can guarantee you it does cause a lot of problems when you don't follow what the biblical pattern is. And that's with any type of thing, but definitely with these gifts that are meant to be a blessing can actually be harmful if you don't use them properly. Now, between these two extreme views is the proper biblical view on spiritual gifts. All gifts are for today, but... They're not a anything goes mindset. There is a proper way to use them and an improper way to use them. And in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is going to reveal to us what those proper and improper ways are. Now, as we go through these three chapters, you're going to notice something that Paul is mainly just going to list spiritual gifts. He's not going to define them. He's not going to go into detail about them. And the reason for that is because the Corinthian believers, their problem wasn't not knowing what the gifts were or what the gifts meant. Their problem was they weren't using them properly. They didn't understand several vital principles that 
Paul is going to share with us that go along with gifts so that you can use them in a proper way. So as we go through this, when Paul just lists gifts, I'm actually going to stop and define them for us because they understood what those were. I want to make sure that we do as well. But really the main point of these three chapters is really not to give some great depth of understanding about what each gift is. The main point of this chapter is to give principles with every single gift that we need to use if we're going to exercise those gifts in a proper biblical way. And so in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is going to share with us eight vital principles about spiritual gifts. And I've listed them in the order that Paul shares them with us. So the first thing that Paul is going to share with us is how to judge spiritual gifts, then the giver of spiritual gifts, then the purpose of spiritual gifts, the unity within spiritual gifts, the need for spiritual gifts, the love we must have in using spiritual gifts, the heart we should have towards spiritual gifts, and finally the proper function of spiritual gifts. Now, as we go through these, I'm going to share with you in detail about them, and so you're going to come to a good understanding of how we do judge spiritual gifts. We're going to understand who the giver is and why that's important for us to know. We're going to grasp the purpose of spiritual gifts so that we hopefully uh, approach it properly, uh, why unity within spiritual gifts is so important and what that looks like, uh, why we need spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is all about love in exercising spiritual gifts properly, what our hearts should be towards spiritual gifts, and then finally the proper function that you and I should have. And so when we get done studying this, hopefully not only are you going to understand you know, what the spiritual gifts are that Paul lists, but far more important than that, you'll understand these eight principles that will really help you uh, know how to properly exercise these gifts that you have been given. You see, we have this detailed knowledge and we understand these vital principles, then when we seek to exercise spiritual gifts, we will do it in the right way. Now, in the church world, there are definitely a lot of abuses and there are a lot of neglecting of spiritual gifts. And a lot of that comes back to not understanding these principles, because not only do these principles share with us how not to abuse it, but when you recognize the right purpose and why we should be doing it, it motivates you to not neglect, but want to use your gifts for the proper reason. And so hopefully during these next few weeks, as we look at spiritual gifts, first we'll believe, as hopefully we already do, they're all for today that we'll grasp what they are, but more importantly, that we will understand these eight vital principles so that we will exercise them in a proper way. So this morning we're going to start by looking at the first three vital principles that Paul gives us uh, in the first 11 verses here in chapter 12, how we judge spiritual gifts, who the giver of these gifts are, and the purpose of spiritual gifts. And he's going to share with us nine different gifts that will also define and hopefully understand what they are. So Paul starts this section on spiritual gifts with a, a good challenge, and then he goes into one thing that they shouldn't do to try to understand spiritual gifts. Starting in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. 
So Paul starts off saying, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, and I want us to recognize here what this whole section is about. It's not natural talent like athleticism or intelligence. It's not learned skills like woodworking or accounting or something that you've learned yourself. This is a supernatural gift given by God to you and I for a specific purpose within the body of Christ. Now, the challenge that Paul gives us here is he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. This Greek word that is translated ignorant means um, not to understand something, to be uninformed, to not know. And so Paul's saying, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant. And the problem that the Corinthians had was there was ignorance, that there was things that they didn't understand, things they didn't know about spiritual gifts. One of the big problems I think we have in the church world today and why we see abuses and neglect is because there's ignorance of what the scriptures say about what the gifts are and how they should be used and what their purpose is and their proper function. And so hopefully as we go through this, we will not be ignorant of these things. And so Paul is going to spend these chapters sharing with us insights to help us no longer be ignorant. But he starts with something that is not going to help them overcome their ignorance of spiritual gifts. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Now, Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to remember something. They're coming out of a pagan idolatry background for the most part. And so, you know, within this idolatry, there is a way in which they worship their God. There is a way in which they did certain things. And Paul's saying, you do not rely upon that experience to try to help you understand the gifts of the Spirit and how God works and how God moves. Do not rely upon your pagan past to understand God. And I think this is important for us because, you know, a lot of times we come out of this sinful past and, you know, maybe we have a materialistic mindset or a superstitious view or something, and we sometimes bring that into our views of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And and so we got to be very careful not to bring our sinful past into the present understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. Well, now Paul's going to start with sharing the first vital principle uh, about spiritual gifts, which is how to judge spiritual gifts. And we see this in verse three, which says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul here is laying down this broad principle for discerning matters concerning spiritual gifts. He tells us to judge spiritual gifts ultimately by how they relate to Jesus. Does this supposed spiritual gift glorify Jesus? Does it promote the true Jesus or does it claim he's accursed or something that is false? If someone is claiming to prophesy or to have a word of wisdom or to have a a word of knowledge and they're saying Jesus is a curse or Jesus isn't the son of God or, or something that is clearly unbiblical, you can know that's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would never be making those claims. This is not, you know, they might say, oh, I have a prophecy from the Lord, but you can be sure when you connect it to Jesus, if they're saying something against what the scriptures say, that that is not true. That is not what the Holy Spirit would ever do. You know, Jesus reveals something very important about the Holy Spirit in John's gospel and and some of the things that the Holy Spirit would do. In John chapter 15, verse 26, we're told, But when the Helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, speaking of Jesus. 
In John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, it says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus reveals when the Holy Spirit is sent, he's going to testify of Jesus, he's going to share truth, and he's going to glorify Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to promote himself, it's not to promote any person, it is to promote and represent and glorify Jesus Christ. So when someone is claiming to be using a spiritual gift, we should be judging whether their testimony, whether they're testifying, whether they're prophesying, whatever it is that they're, they're claiming to do, is this something that is glorifying Jesus, exalting Jesus? And if it's not, we can be confident this is not something coming from the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts will always exalt Jesus for who he is. They will always glorify him. They will always testify of him and not us. Because that is so much of what you see in the church world today when it comes to spiritual gifts is let me get the glory. Let me get the praise and look at I'm the prophet or I'm this or that. And it's all about the person. And that should be a huge warning of this is not the move of God because God does not exalt the person. He exalts Jesus and him alone. So the first vital principle about spiritual gifts reveals to us one of the ways we should judge whether this is real or whether this isn't real. We need to judge if the person is glorifying, testifying, and exalting Jesus with how they exercise their gift. Does this message, this prophecy, this word of knowledge, this tongue, does it proclaim and glorify Jesus? Does it testify of Jesus? Does it exalt Jesus? Does this action, does this service, does this leadership, does, does it testify of Jesus, glorify Jesus, praise Jesus? If the answer is no, it's not a gift from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does glorify, testify, declare Jesus is Lord. You know, the Corinthians, if they would have been using this first principle with spiritual gifts, then they would have been able to judge and see that a lot of what was happening was not of God. A lot of what was happening was not biblical, was not moved by the Holy Spirit, and they could have, you know, corrected those things or steered clear of those people who were claiming that stuff. And, you know, they would have seen that, hey, these people are not glorifying and exalting Jesus. They're glorifying and exalting themselves. And this isn't biblical. This isn't right. Uh, and so we need to do this. We need to judge this. And, you know, there's something I find interesting. One of the th- extremes that we looked at is this extreme that, you know, you have, well, there are no gifts because so they'd reject it or at least the, the miracles. But then there's the other extreme that says, hey, you know what? Anything goes. And when you believe that anything goes, then there's really no place for judging. You know, because I grew up in that environment, and when I got to a place where I started calling my parents and other people out, so I said, wait a second, what about this that the Bible says, whoa, 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 anything goes mindset, then you don't have the right to say, no, this isn't right, no, this isn't biblical, no, this isn't glorifying Jesus, oh, you're putting God in the box, or you're doing this or that, they have their different, you know, things that they'll bring back at you, but at the end of the day, you know, we need to be those who judge to make sure Jesus is exalted to make sure it's biblical. And when we don't, that's when these abuses run rampant in churches and become very problematic. And so this is a very important thing as we uh, come and use gifts and see others uh, and experience that. We want to be those who are making sure that what's happening coincides with Scripture and exalts the one who deserves to be exalted, Jesus. So 
The second vital principle concerning spiritual gifts we see in verses uh, 4 through 11. Ultimately, we'll start in 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And so Paul shares with us three important things here about different uh, gifts. The first thing he tells is there are diversities of gifts. What he's saying is there's different gifts. There's not all the same one. We have a lot of different gifts given to different people, uh, and we'll look at the reason for that. The second thing that Paul tells us is there are different ministries. And so if you look at Ephesians, you see some of those ministries, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, you know, evangelists. And he's saying, so, you know, not everybody has the same ministry. There's different ministries. There's different gifts. And third, he says there's diversities of activities. Now, the Greek word here translated activities is the same Greek word translated working of miracles in verse 10. And so it's most likely speaking of this active working power of God in this miraculous way. But but there's a diversity in that. There's different things that God does in that way. But but really, you know, he's bringing up the different gifts, different ministries, different activities. But that's not his main point. Notice that within each one of these verses, he uses the phrase the same. It's repeated three times. The same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. There are a lot of different gifts. There are a lot of different ministries. There's different activities that people have. But what we need to understand is they all come from the same source. They all come from God. So Paul's point is he wants us to, to recognize that God is the one who gives these spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to skip verse 7 for a moment because that's going to share with us the purpose of spiritual gifts. And we're going to move to verses 8 through 11 because they're continuing to make this point that Paul is making. Notice what he says. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so within these verses, Paul lists nine different spiritual gifts. But once again, notice something that is repeated again and again and again through these verses. The same Spirit, through the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. When you take verses 4 through 6 and then verses 8 through 7, you have this repetition of this same spirit eight times in only seven verses. And so when an author com- continues to repeat the same or through this, uh, th- there's obviously something that they want us to not miss. This is the main emphasis of what he's trying to share here. He wants us to understand all the gifts come from the same source. They come from the Holy Spirit. But notice verse 11, which I think is a very important thing to grasp as well. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice it's the Holy Spirit that gives spiritual gifts as he wills. He distributes them to who he wants to, when he wants to, as he wills to. The second vital principle about spiritual gifts that Paul reveals to us is that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives each spiritual gift and he gives them as he wills. This is so important for us to understand because I think it reveals two very important things about spiritual gifts. First, we don't control spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit does. 
This is so important because growing up in a movement that definitely abused spiritual gifts, this is one of the big abuses, the one of the, the unbiblical thoughts that I am in control, not the Holy Spirit. I control all of this instead of Him. I can't demand the Holy Spirit to give me a particular gift. I can't demand when He gives it to me. It is in His control. It is in His will. It is in His timing. Now, you and I like to control things, and this is why it can be problematic for us, because we want to control the situation. We want to control how the Spirit of God works. We want to control when He moves and and what gifts He gives and at what time, but we don't have that control. He's in control, not us. He does it as He wills, according to what He desires, not according to our will and what we desire. So you can't just say, you know what, I want to prophesy today, so I'm going to. The only way that you're going to prophesy is if the Holy Spirit gives you a word from God to someone. And if he chooses not to, guess what? The only thing that's coming out of your mouth is something you're making up because it's not from the Spirit of God. He's in control, not you. You can't just determine, I'm going to do it. He's got to be the one doing it and leading it and guiding it. And it's based on his will and his timing, not yours. Or a more specific one that we see in the church world today, I cannot say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to heal whoever I want. You know, if you're sick, you know, there's people who say, we're having this huge crusade, and if you come, I guarantee healing. Well, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm in control. You come, I can guarantee that God is going to work through me to heal you. No, you can't guarantee that because it's the Spirit of God who's in control. Now, you can pray for someone who's sick. You can pray that God would heal them. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to determine whether or not he's going to do that. It's not bound on your desires, not bound on your will. I'm sure that you have prayed for someone sincerely and wholeheartedly that you love for God to heal that he did not, that he chose not to, because you're not in control, he is. Now, God does use people to do that. God will move oftentimes in that way, but we're not the ones who can dictate that and control that. We have to just submit to the will of the Lord, and that's really ultimately we pray these things. Lord, I want this to happen, but ultimately your will be done. I want you to do this if that's what you desire, because ultimately that's the only way it's going to happen anyway. So the Holy Spirit is not some genie that we control. We can't just say, give me this spiritual gift right now, and he's obliged to do what we tell him to. He is God. He is in control of what gifts we get, of when we get them, not us. And so when you hear people making claims that it's quite clear that they believe that they're in control of these gifts, red flags steer clear, they don't understand. And they're moving forward in a way that is going to be very problematic, most likely. And I've seen it firsthand how that's you know is very problematic so the first important thing this principle helps us understand we don't control the spirit of god does but the second thing i think is another thing we need to realize is we don't deserve it's a spiritual gift you don't deserve it i don't deserve it it's a gift a gift from god the spirit of god is the one who gives this gift and you know i think too often we see within the body of christ Oh, look at me. I'm so much better because I have the gift of prophecy and all you have is tongues or, or I have the gift of miracles and all you have is some leadership thing or, you know, we get in this place where we, we elevate certain gifts as better than others. And because I have gotten what we perceive to be a better gift, that must be because I'm more spiritual than you are. And look at how great I am. And we forget I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to deserve this. The spirit of God just says, you know what? Here you go. I want to give you this so that you will use it for my glory and to edify people. And, you know, all of a sudden, if you turn around and boast and get prideful about that, you've totally missed that you are undeserving. I'm undeserving. None of us earn this. None of us do anything to, to deserve it. This is something that is a gift. Uh, and so we need to recognize the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives each spiritual gift 
And he gives them as he wills, not as we will or uh, because we deserve them. Well, now Paul is going to share with us the third vital principle, which is the purpose. This is one of the most important ones of all. Verse 7 tells us this. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So here Paul reveals to us, what's the main purpose of spiritual gifts? The main purpose of spiritual gifts is that they would be used for the profit of all. Speaking of all those who come together as a church, you come together to exercise your gifts. The goal should be, the main purpose should be to profit everybody who is there. So the third vital principle that we need to understand is the purpose of spiritual gift is to profit the church. Spiritual gifts are given for that reason. You need to profit, you need to edify, you need to build up. This is why we're going to see in the second half of chapter 12, Paul is going to give this uh, detail about each person in the body of Christ has an important gift to use for the profit of everyone else. Chapter 13 is going to go into detail about the importance of love, that it's only through love that we're going to be willing to profit others because we're selfish. And so we need that love so that we're willing to do that. In chapter 14, he's going to go into detail about the importance of us using our gifts to edify people in a orderly way that God has designed so that people will be profited the most. And so this whole section is going to be revealing how we actually fulfill this purpose of I have a gift And I should use it for one main reason, the profit of other people. You know, something I've noticed that many people, when they come to spiritual gifts, is they view it for just them. It's all about me. They want this gift for their own profit, not for the profit of others. They want this gift so they can feel powerful. They want this gift so they can be viewed as more spiritual than others. Some want the gift because they want some title of, oh, there's the prophet or there's the the healer or there's the the miracle worker. And, you know, this builds up them and it's all about them. And as we already noted, it should be all about Jesus. And so that completely goes against the whole purpose of gifts. But they don't want the gifts. They're not even pursuing gifts for others. They're pursuing it for themselves. They're pursuing it for their own selfishness and their own selfish gain. And they've missed the point completely. They've missed the purpose completely. If you have the gift of teaching, its purpose is not to exalt you and so people can think you're great. That The purpose is that you would use that gift to encourage people with the word of God. Why? So that they would be profited, so that they could grow in their relationship with Jesus, so that they could become more like him. If you have the gift of prophecy, its purpose isn't to exalt you and so that people can say, oh, look at the prophet coming. Its purpose is that you would share a word from God to his people so that they would be profited, so that they would be benefited from it. Whatever spiritual gift you have, it's for the purpose to profit others. It's not for the purpose of you using it for your own selfishness. So if your motive in wanting a particular gift is using it for your own profit, then you've definitely missed the point. And you know what? Don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit doesn't give you that gift or doesn't use you very often with it. You know, I think one of the main things that, you know, you might think, I don't see God moving through me in this supernatural way with these gifts very frequently, very often. Let me pose a question to you. When you come to church, do you come with a mindset of, hey, I'm here to take or I'm here to give? 
You know, we live in a very consumer-driven culture, and it has definitely permeated the church. And often when people come in new, the first question that they'll pose is, what does this church have to offer me? You know, what's the worship like? What is it like for my kids? You know, how's the teaching? All the questions have to do with, what am I going to get out of this? And oftentimes they come, and it's just the whole mindset isn't, what do I have to offer? What has God gifted in me so I can use it? How can I serve? It's just, I'm here to take. You know, this worship better be good. This teaching better be good. My kids better be blessed. You know, it's all about me and what I get from this as opposed to I am here not just to to get stuff. I'm here for God to use me to profit others. And if you're coming to church and you're all about just selfish me, all about what I can get, don't be surprised when the Holy Spirit isn't using you because if you're not practically willing to profit others, why should he supernaturally move through you to profit others? If you're not here to pray for people, to encourage people with your words, you know, to have good solid fellowship in a practical way, why are you going to think the Holy Spirit's going to move in some supernatural way so that you can profit? Because you're not here to profit. You don't care about profiting people. And so I find that when your heart is to truly profit others, that is when you open yourself up to the purpose of spiritual gifts and the Spirit of God starts to move through you in a powerful way. But our problem is within the church culture today, we're very selfish. It's all about us. And we wonder, well, why isn't God moving the way that he did in other cultures or back in the time of Acts? Well, (laughs) maybe the big problem is our own selfishness and not wanting and willing to be used to bless others instead of just coming for what we can get from this time. So now that we've looked at these three vital principles, I want to define the nine different spiritual gifts that Paul lists for us here in verses 8 through 11. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different types of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the first spiritual gift that Paul lists, and it's just a list, it's not like an order of what is best or what is worse, he says, is the word of wisdom. So this is the unique ability to speak wisdom from God, especially uh, in you know an important situation. Now, this does not mean we have this kind of reservoir of wisdom now to always draw from. It's, you know, when the situation arises where we need specific wisdom from God, then the Spirit of God, if he chooses to, will grant us that wisdom so that we can use it. Now, this is a word of wisdom, so it's wisdom that we are to be proclaiming uh, with our mouth. A good example of this is in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, you know, he's standing before a group of people that want to kill him. He preaches one of the most powerful messages, but he's given wisdom from God ultimately to proclaim that, uh, and it's uh, something that has a great impact uh, on those who listen. The second spiritual gift that Paul lists is the word of knowledge. This is the unique ability to declare knowledge which could only be revealed to you supernaturally. It's the ability to know facts about a situation that could not have been known by natural means. Uh, a good example of this is Paul, uh, or Peter, sorry, with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, uh, we see what transpired. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the, uh, of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not in your own? 
And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So here's Ananias, Sapphira. They come up with their own little plan. They're the only ones who they think know about it. They come to Peter. Peter could have no knowledge. There's no way that he could have understood what was going on. But the Holy Spirit, through the word of knowledge, revealed to him what they'd done, and he rebukes them for it. And so we see a clear instance of you know the Holy Spirit giving a word of knowledge. I've had times in counseling where God has revealed to me sin in people's lives, different things that's happening that I could have no knowledge of, and I bring it up, and they're just like freaked out of like, you know, how'd you know that? And the Spirit of God wanted to reveal, hey, He knows what's going on, and things need to change. So the, the third gift that Paul lists for us is faith. Now, all of us have faith. It's a, an essential part of the Christian life. You have to place faith in God in order to be saved. But, you know, there's also a supernatural gift of faith. The, uh, the gift of faith is a unique ability to trust God against all circumstances. And, you know, we are placed in situations oftentimes when we're doing ministry or things where, you know, it's difficult to displace complete trust in God. And oftentimes the Spirit of God will give us this gift so that we'll continue forward, so that we'll step out in ways that, you know, maybe in and of ourselves we would never do, but it's something that the Spirit of God gives to us to help us with this. I think this is probably something that Peter got when he was willing to step out on the boat and walk on water. Uh, George Mueller, a great missionary, he provided for thousands of orphans completely by prayer. He never asked for a donation. He just, by faith, trusted that God would do that. Now, most people wouldn't, and it's like a supernatural move of faith that he was given to be willing to take that step. And so, uh, a great, great uh, gift to have. Uh, the fourth spiritual gift that Paul lists here is the gifts of healings. Uh, and he makes them plural, most commentators believe, because there's so many different things that you can heal. Uh, but obviously, you know, this is God's healing power to heal whatever might be wrong with someone. Uh, and really, I don't believe this is involving medical knowledge. I think this is a supernatural ability to heal someone's life, that God is the only one who can do it, and he does come through with that. I think a great example we see over and over through Scripture, you know, you know, Peter heals a lame man. I mean, you look through uh, all the book of Acts, we went through Paul and others, you know, we're constantly having God move through them uh, to bring healing to people's life. And so uh, it's repeatedly documented through the New Testament, throughout church history, throughout our uh, time today. And so this is a, a very important gift and, and needed gift to profit people because a lot of people are needing healing. Uh, and God's the one who's capable of giving that. The, the fifth spiritual gift that Paul lists is the, the working of miracles. And this is really when the Holy Spirit chooses to override the laws of nature and do something that is kind of contrary to that. For example, as we looked at last week, Jesus feeding 5,000 plus people with five loaves and two fish. That goes against the laws of nature, but he does it. Jesus' uh, resurrection, Lazarus' resurrection. I mean, these are, are miracles that are transpiring because they are going against the laws of nature, but God is not bound by those. He can supersede those uh, as he chooses to. The sixth principle uh, that Paul lists is prophecy. Uh, and so this is the telling forth of God's message. Uh, God has a specific word for people to reveal that. And I would say that it is always in accordance with 
the Word of God. Uh, so if you ever have someone who claims, thus says the Lord, and the Word of God says something different, you can be confident that wasn't thus says the Lord, that was thus says them. Uh, God's Word coming through someone will always coincide with the Word that He's already revealed. But this is a very important thing. We see in Scripture that this is also something that is predictive. Uh, oftentimes God is prophesying something of the future that's going to happen. Uh, and you know we've looked at that as evidence for the inspiration of Scripture at thousands of prophecies that God predicted have already been fulfilled exactly like he said they would be. But a good example of this, you see this throughout Scripture, Acts 22, uh, 21, 10, 11. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews in Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And so Agabus comes with the word from God. This is a prophecy specifically for Paul telling him what's going to happen. And it's actually, you know, he even uses his belt and different things. But, you know, this is a great, great gift if used properly uh, to profit the body of Christ. The seventh spiritual gift that Paul lists is discerning of spirits. This is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine, to tell the difference between the true move of the Holy Spirit versus, uh, versus some false move of, you know, some satanic spirit. Uh, this is very important to have in our day and age because we're living in a time where there's a lot of deceptive messages. For those who've been coming on Thursday nights, we've been looking in Second Peter, dealing with false teachers and what they try to do and how deceptive they do it. And so having discernment, being able to discern between what is truly of God versus what is not, uh, is a very, very useful gift uh, and one that if used within the body of Christ can protect not only yourself, but others because you can use that discernment to to help others see, whoa, 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 what's being said here is not right, or what's being done here is not biblical, uh, and this is not from God. And so, you know, this is a, a great gift that the Holy Spirit gives that helps protect us. The eighth spiritual gift that Paul lists are different types or kinds of tongues. Um, and we're going to get into more detail in chapter 14 because Paul is going to uh, expound upon this a little more. But really, this is a, a personal language of prayer between you and God that you don't know the language, you don't understand what you're saying, but it communicates with God beyond the limits of your knowledge and understanding. And the Bible expresses that this is of benefit to you personally. Uh, examples of this are throughout the, the New Testament, Acts 19.6, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied, and, and we see this, we obviously saw that with the initial thing that I talked about on the day of Pentecost, the followers of Jesus were given this gift, um, but we'll look at the, the significance of that and how that's supposed to be used when we get to chapter 14. Uh, the ninth spiritual gift that Paul lists is interpretation of tongues. And so this is the ability to interpret that tongue that no one understood. You know, it's in a language that no one knows, and God supernaturally gives an interpretation. Why? So that everybody who's listening can be profited. Remember, that's the purpose of it. So if, if someone were to speak in tongues right now and no one were to understand it, the only person is profited scripturally is them. But if it's interpreted and we all can understand in words that we can actually understand, then we all become profited. And so this is a, a very important uh, gift in, in, that goes with the gift of tongues. And once again, in chapter 14, Paul is going to expound upon that as well and how that should be used. And so we will look at that in more detail. 
So these are just nine spiritual gifts. These aren't all the spiritual gifts. Actually, even in chapters 12 through 14, we're not going to see all of the spiritual gifts. But I want you to get some grasp of, you know, what God through the Holy Spirit has made available. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're like, I don't know what spiritual gift I have. I don't, I've never used a spiritual gift before. You know, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, hopefully as we go through this, you will start to discover what the spiritual gifts are, how to use them properly, what principles to apply. And and I would encourage you, don't be scared of them. I think a lot of people, because there's so much abuse, it's like we're fearful of these gifts, but you know, we're not hopefully fearful of the Bible that's abused. We recognize it's good. God gave these gifts because they're good. And so, you know, pray, ask God to reveal to you what gifts or gifts, plural, that he has given to you. And hopefully as we go through this, you will understand how to properly use them, but uh, be seeking the Lord for them, but we really need to grasp these principles because these principles are going to guide us to be able to use them properly. Uh, first, we need to judge if the person is glorifying, testifying, exalting Jesus with how they exercise their gifts. Second, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives each spiritual gift and he gives them as he wills, not as we will. And third, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to profit the church. And so hopefully you guys are, are getting excited for what we're going to see and what we're going to learn uh, through these next few weeks in this. And I hope it really uh, benefits you and helps you to really pray through and ask the Lord to reveal. And as I said, hey, come seeking to profit others. And if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, guess what? You can still come and practically profit others. Come and say, you know, I'm going to pray with someone today. I'm going to come and encourage someone with my words. I'm going to come and serve someone in a certain way. You know, that that would be our heart when we gather together. Not, hey, I'm just coming because, man, these people do lots for me. No, I want to come and be able to offer something for them. I want to come and profit them because the Bible is very clear. We have all been gifted. And God has a role for us in that we're all meant to use our giftings within the body of Christ for the ultimate purpose of everyone being profited. And we're going to see that in detail in the second half of chapter 12, which we'll look at next week. But let's pray. Father, we are, <clears throat> we are grateful that you pour on us so much, Lord. You've given us your life, and it didn't end there. You made us your children. And it didn't end there, Lord. You, you, you gave us your spirit. It indwells us. It leads us into truth. It convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. But Lord, it also empowers us. It gives us boldness to proclaim your truths. And it gives us gifts to be used for the benefit of the church, Lord. And I just pray that we would see what a wonderful privilege the Holy Spirit is, that you would help us to grasp that third part of the Trinity uh, in a more biblical way, and that we would utilize what you have given to us, Lord, that we would not abuse it and that we would not neglect it, but God, that we would understand it uh, and that we would then put it into practice in a way that would bring glory and honor to you first and foremost, and that would benefit and profit others in the body of Christ, Lord. And so I pray that uh, as we go through this section, Lord, that you would be revealing to each one of us the giftings that you have given to us and the way in which you want us to exercise those with 
within our fellowship here uh, and just reveal that to us. Lord, help us to be those who truly come with the desire to be used by you and to profit others and to bless others, Lord. Uh, and I just pray that you would just help us because we do struggle with selfishness. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would be selfless like you were, Lord, who gave his life for others. And I just pray that we would truly have your love. Uh, as you tell us, greater love is no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friend, Lord, that we be willing to lay down those things in our lives that we kind of selfishly hold on to, that we would benefit others, that we would come with that heart and that desire. And so I pray that you would just move in our church in this way, Lord, uh, and that your spirit would just uh, be able to uh, do great things through each one of us. And so we're just thankful um, that you love us enough to change us, to save us, but to use us as well. Uh, and so we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, and we just ask that you would help us with that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.